Everybody Googles everything, especially potential customers or employers, and a business or personal online reputation can make or break you. If negative search results or reviews are impacting you, Webamax is here to help. Our proven process restores your online reputation quickly and effectively, and it matters. Don't let negative results control your narrative. Visit GoWebamax.com and fill out a brief confidential form to see how we can help. Remember, if you aren't paying attention to your online reputation, someone else is. GoWebamax.com. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad... To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad... To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad... To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. I do not understand this football name in America. How how many of kicks is there in the football game? Six kicks? I'm going to say it once and hopefully I'm wrong, but it's a disaster waiting to happen. I love all of those things with the piggy skin and the men running around. So much screams and then a toss and then everyone is in a large, large hill. A star is born in the NFL. I like the moxie, but I, more importantly, I like the poise and the noise. Oh, what are you doing? You gotta be paping me. It's Jonathan Elway. He was so sassy and cool. And hey, guys, I'm a cowboy. Bang, bang, sling, sling, toss, toss. I'm going to lose all the time. And then I win and then he leaves as he wins. You cannot beat this. From Munich, Germany, the Broncos and Bratwurst podcast with Kevin Gilligan. Yes, I'm Kevin Gilligan, born and raised in Denver, Colorado, lifelong Broncos fan. I recently moved to Munich, Germany, but as they say, distance makes the heart grow fonder, and so I still love them and love talking about them, even though it's from across the pond. Hey, very happy new year to all you Broncos fans out there. I hope this 2020 is better than 2019, at least for the Denver Broncos. I think it will be. We have a lot of hope going into this season. The Skipper Dude and I are going to do a little bit of a different format today. He's going to kind of lead a segment where we're both going to answer some questions about the 2019 season and a little bit about the 2020 season as well. So it's kind of a post-mortem for this last season in 2019. And I think there's some really good questions. I think we both agree on most things, but there are a few things that... Uh, I recommend you listen to because I think there's some really good points made by each of us and um, some good stuff, as always, from the Skipper Dude. The questions are about Fangio, what we think about him, really the offense in general and, and, and our thoughts about 
you know, Scangarello and, and why he was a little too, um, you know, I don't know, weak at times in play calling and also the defense and, and what we thought about the, I don't know, the pros and the cons of that side of the ball in 2019. So I want to send it straight over to that segment and I'll let the skipper dude take over as we discuss what all happened in 2019 for our Denver Broncos. And also, before we get started, I have to say a very happy birthday to the Skipper Dude. His birthday was on Thursday. You'll be listening to this on Friday. So please, everyone, reach out to him on Twitter in the comment section on MileHighReport.com. Wish him a happy birthday. He is obviously an integral part of the show, really the co-host to the show, especially this week while we'll be doing the show together. So very happy birthday to him. We hope that this year is one of the best of his life. Closing time. Open Thanks, Kevin. This is Dan Davis, the Skipper Dude. Since we've reached closing time for the 2019 Denver Broncos season, Kevin and I decided to do a joint post-mortem discussion today. So in business, these types of discussions are important as a way of celebrating the successes of a project, but much more importantly, to look backwards at what could have been done better as a means of helping to look forward to the next project. So for the first time in Broncos and Broadworth's history, I think, Kevin and I are going to do a dialogue and look back at the 2019 season and all kinds to lead the discussion. So, so Kevin, let, let's start. Looking back at this past season, let's start with a very big picture discussion. In your estimation, how has the culture of the Denver Broncos organization changed this year under Vic Fangio? Wow, that's a good question. Of all the post-mortems we've had for the Denver Broncos in the last, in the last decade, this is one of the harder ones because it's really been two different seasons. You know, you had, you had the pre- Drew Locke season and then the post Drew Locke season. And so it's it's actually pretty hard to judge. And I think it's pretty hard to judge Vic Fangio too. I think as a whole, Fangio has done a good job in changing the culture. But honestly, I think a big part of that is because the team started winning. Now, if they had never put in Locke, if Locke had said, say he'd been injured for the whole year and it had been Flacco or or Allen or whoever else as at quarterback and the Broncos had continued to lose, say they'd won three games, then I think the culture would have been you know, kind of in a tailspin. I don't love everything Fangio does. I don't love the, you know, I'm this grandpa mean dude who can't say anything nice about his players. Now, I don't think that's always the case. It seems like that's more how he acts with the media because I think in the locker room, it seems like the guys like him. He seems to be kind of, you know, kind of a nice guy that I think players actually respect and look up to. So I, th- I think part of it is more just how he handles the media and how he talks about the players to the media. So I think that's a bit of my perception and a bit of the fan perception of him rather than the player perception of him. And I think we're going to see a lot about the, you know, what he's done for the culture this off season, who comes back, who wants to be a Bronco. And that's going to be half a lot to do with Drew Locke, but it's also obviously going to have to do with Vic Fangio and the staff and, and John Elway and the Broncos culture. And, and I think if you see guys like Derek Wolf, Shelby Harris, even heck Chris Harris Jr., they come back, then I'm saying, you know, this this guy, Vic Fangio, is here to stay for a long time. I think no matter what, you give the guy three years. I don't even care if they win two games next year, one game next year. You have to give him three years. Because if you don't, you, you never have enough time to build to build that culture and to build a team, to build a roster, for goodness sake. you got a young quarterback. You've got a really young offense, the youngest in football in the last few months 
um, of the season. And so that being the case, you've got to give them time. And I like in general what I see. Like I said, I don't love everything I see in the media, but from what you can read between the lines with the players, it seems like they they are picking up what he's putting down. And I, and I think they like his message in general. And obviously, culture is all about, it, it works when you're winning, right? It works when you see an upside. It works, though, also when you have a coach who is who is you know, he's saying the right things. And I think you see that really good example of that with Brian Flores in Miami. And I, I give the guy credit. I, I thought he was going to be a total bust in Miami. And they had no talent, and they pretty much tanked. And then Flores went out and led his team to, what, I think five wins. That's pretty insane. And you got to give a guy total, total credit for going out and doing that. Now, is Fangio that kind of rah-rah guy who can really lead his team to victory? I'm not sure. I don't think anyone really knows. I, I hope it's the case. And, and I'm excited to see what he does because I do think he, at the very least, brings maturity and, and reliability to the position that we definitely did not have with Vance Joseph. And I would echo much of what you're saying here, Kevin. I think you honestly saw this team fight hard for 16 games, which is a big step up from the VJ days when the Broncos would go into funks where it just appeared like they stopped caring. This year's team did have three honest butt kickings, right? Both the Kansas City games and the one in Buffalo. But I think those were games where, yes, they had some quarterback issues in each one, but the reality is they just weren't talented enough to be competitive against the AFC's elite teams this year. But as regards Vic Pangio, I want to go out on a rather thin, rather short limb here, and I'm going to propose that when the final chapter of the book on John Elway's tenure as vice president and general manager is eventually written signing Peyton Manning will probably turn out to be his greatest personnel maneuver but I also think that Vic Fangio hire is going to be in the top five if not even the top three and let me explain why Let's look at first at another Elway coup, which was drafting Von Miller in 2011. That was a fantastic choice, but but let's be honest. He was drafting at number two overall, and he also could have had his pick of Patrick Peterson, A.J. Green, Julio Jones, or J.J. Watt. So he almost couldn't have gone wrong with that pick. Fangio was a very different kind of deal. He had been interviewed for head coaching positions, what, two or three times previously? And by his own admission, he said he spent zero time preparing for those interviews. Now, I've sat on quite a number of interview committees in my time, and I can tell you that a guy like Fangio, who is kind of crusty and gruff, who didn't prepare for the interview, probably is not much of a self-promoter, is the kind of guy who doesn't come across well in interviews. You interview him, and then he's the kind of guy, he walks out the, of the room, and you kind of turn to the person sitting next to you, and you say, wow, that was kind of crusty. Then you move on to the next interview. So I totally understand, given all of the different responsibilities of an NFL head coach, why a gruff, straight-shooting, non-self-promoter like Vic Fangio had never landed a head coaching gig. It was going to take a special sort of general manager to see through that what was likely a very bad interview. But step back and think about this for a minute. Let's look at some of the NFL's most legendary head coaches. Vince Lombardi, Tom Landry, Don Shula, Bill Walsh, Bill Belichick, okay? These were not a bunch of touchy-feely kinds of guys. What made them great? 
It was two things above everything else, I believe. One was a genius level football IQ, and the other was great leadership skills. And it seemed to be with most of these legends that they were rather stoic. It's a fairly rare set uh, skill set, and I think John Elway had come to understand that and saw that skill set in Vic Fangio. Now, in my opinion, at least, Mike Shanahan had the IQ of a legendary head coach, but he wasn't a great leader. He was a mastermind with John Elway, a quarterback, and Terrell Davis, a running back, but really very average after those two retired. Vance Joseph, on the other hand, I believe had the charisma and moral character to be a great leader, but I never got the impression that he had much of a football IQ. I mean, at the end of the day, these head coaches need to lead a locker room of many of the greatest athletes on earth, prima donnas around whom entire communities rally and lead them into battle. And these players are only going to give a consistent championship level effort to a man, a leader they trust and respect. And I know for me, this was the quality I was hoping to see when John Elway first hired Vic Fangio, a man the entire Broncos community could rally around, trust and respect. Now last off season, I talked a bit about my own experience playing for a Vic Fangio type of coach myself. And I can tell you that that type of coach is an acquired taste. It takes time to really start to appreciate a coach like that. And many players just aren't going to thrive in his kind of environment. And I think if you look at this year, Chris Harris Jr., Adam Gotsis, Ron Leary, Devontae Booker, Brandon McManus. I think these were all guys who struggled in the Fangio system. It was not out of the question that Fangio was going to utterly fail in his first year and lose the locker room and cause a revolt among the players with his cantankerous ways. So, for John Elway, it was a major leap of faith to hire Vic Fangio, but I think the first year at least has shown that Fangio at least has the potential to be that high IQ leader consistent with some of the legendary head coaches that can lead a championship organization. All right, so let's move on to the offense now. What are your thoughts, Kevin, on the development of Rich Gangarello, Drew Locke, Garrett Bowles, and the off offense this year? Ooh, okay, three and one. Okay, I guess so. I guess I'll start with Rich Rich Gangarello. He's another kind of tough one to call because I think a lot of Rich Gangarello, a lot of things he's been criticized for is is taking the foot off the gas in the fourth quarter or not being aggressive enough or just you know handing the ball to Noah Fant four times, five times, six times, whatever. I think part of that comes from from Vic Fangio, at least being conservative. I think that's that's straight from the head coach. I don't think that's something that the offensive coordinator is calling. And I think that the the OC often gets blamed for that, like 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 um Kyle Shanahan did in the the Atlanta loss to New England a couple years ago in the Super Bowl. And that's not likely his fault. It's probably the head coach saying, "Hey, look, I want to tone it down here. That's the head coach's call. Now, the offensive coordinator is probably the guy saying, hey, you know, here's my first, you know, here's my idea. And the coach can say yes or no, the head coach, that is. And so Scangarello, I think, at some points had his hands tied behind his back by Fangio, which is something that I criticize of Fangio. I think Fangio needs to learn to not be so old-fashioned. Now, there's a mix that you need to have of old-fashioned and and being new that this is this is what Bill Belichick has has perfected he, he's found a way to be that old-fashioned grumpy old man but to also have the newest and most you know I don't know different schemes that you'll find in the NFL he does stuff that no one else does that's new and that's what Fangio is going to have to find a way to do part of Bill Belichick's success has been with Josh McDaniels who's one of the best guys at finding new and exciting 
different things that no one's ever even thought about before. And I think if Fangio can can wise up to the fact that Scangarello is a really good offensive mind, which I believe he is, then I think you really could have a great mix, a great combination, a great team effort between Scangarello and Fangio. But Fangio has got to let the guy run with it. And I think you saw, obviously, the improvement in the offense once Drew Locke took over and that he's the next guy in this question as well. So I think it goes, obviously, hand in hand. You know, the quarterback and the offensive coordinator are going to work off each other. Now, Scangarello, you know, he was not given a very good hand to begin the year. He had a bad offensive line that was injured, so it became a really bad offensive line. And then he had a quarterback who couldn't move in the pocket and who just somehow had lost any memory or any sense of, of, of how to play quarterback in Joe Flacco. And and everyone knows how I feel about Joe Flacco and that whole decision to bring him in in the first place. So don't even get me started with Joe Flacco. But anyway, Drew Locke has, has really shown he's really got a good feel in the pocket. I mean, he had a terrible offensive line, especially the last two games, just due to injuries and, and whatnot. And, and he really proved that he can be a guy who can at least avoid a sack. I mean, I think he had 3.5%... Um, sack rate and then Paxton Lynch in his time in Denver had something about it was something like 12.5 so a huge difference with Drew Locke and that's what I think I like most about Drew Locke either I'd say either his gun of an arm or the fact that he shows he's shown that he can be a, a real star in moving around in the pocket and that is what you have to have to succeed in the NFL all the great quarterbacks that's what they've had Tom Brady had success for so many years, not because of arm talent, but partly because he's a really smart quarterback. He had a great offensive coordinator and because he was really good at moving around in the pocket. Just one little step, one little half step. He's not athletic. He just has that sixth sense of knowing where people are, knowing where there's space and knowing where he's going to have a pocket clear to throw down the field. And I do think Drew Locke has that. So, you know, the development of Drew Locke, I think he's got things to get a fix. His footwork Honestly, I think his footwork improved over the five games he played. So that's something to be extremely hopeful about. I mean, his first two games, I thought it was like, you know, kind of a Pat Mahomes. Like, you know, wow, he got away with it, but he shouldn't have. I thought the last two games, you know, he didn't have great stats. But he made some throws, and he really seemed to improve throwing off his back foot, you know, stepping into throws. I thought he looked really, really solid with his footwork. And that's something that... You have to have, obviously, in a quarterback. And I think if he already is improving on his weaknesses, Drew Locke, really, truly, the sky is the limit for the kid. And and I think that's why Broncos fans everywhere are just absolutely head over heels in love with the kid because they see, for one, he's he's a fun character. He's a guy who who's a good leader. His teammates love. And he's got a gun of an arm. He's got a knowledge in the pocket, an instinct in the pocket. And he looks like he can read defenses. And that is a combination that could be someday Hall of Fame worthy. Now, Garrett Bowles, he's the last part of this question. Um, That's a really tough question. I, I've bagged on Garrett Bowles like everyone in Broncos country. And rightfully so. The guy's had a bad year. He's had a really a bad career in Denver in general. Now, the problem is, is that he's still in a fairly affordable contract. He's always healthy. He always plays. And he seems to be slowly improving. Now, he still makes bad decisions, but he he's also a guy who gets called for, for penalties because the refs are looking for it. That's just the case. Now, I don't know if that's ever going to leave him, at least while he's in Denver. But he does seem to be improving. Mike Munchak is really one of the best guys at coaching offensive line in the NFL. So, you know, I think it really depends on who's available in the draft. The Broncos are drafting number 15. If you know, one of these guys falls to 15, uh, you know, a left tackle, then yeah, you get him, you, you, you just 
bail on Garrett Bowles and you don't really think twice about it. Now, if it's one of these wide receivers, cornerbacks, whoever else falls to 15, or heck, if you want to trade back, whatever you do, then you probably keep Bowles for another year and you you punt and, and, and look for, for a left tackle in 2021. Now, I think that Garrett Bowles is a guy who's frustrating. I don't think he's very smart. I don't think he's a very high IQ football player. But he is talented, he is athletic, and he's a guy who, if he figures things out, if he's smart enough, if he's well-coached enough, he could be a really, really solid left tackle, and I think that's something the Broncos could work with in the future. So really, honestly, all three of them, Rich Gangarello, Drew Locke, Garrett Bowles, I think there's really positive upsides for all three, and really for the Broncos' offense in general. I think. Yeah, I can't really add much to that. Looking back, Kevin, I, I think you're 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 right on. I, I think you're right that there's a dynamic between Fangio and Scangarello this year that wasn't super healthy, and I've discussed it a couple times. I think that Fangio went to Scangarello several times at halftime in Minnesota and in LA against the Chargers, almost for certain, and several other games as well, and put his foot down and told him to button up the offense and keep it. Conservative and let the defense finish the game out. And I think that's something John Elway is going to emphasize in the offseason. The sitting on halftime leads needs to stop. Let's not just outlast teams in 2020. Let's crush and demoralize them and let Drew Locke work his magic. But on the upside, I remember leading up to the Houston game. That was Drew Locke's second game. I was saying that that was the game where they needed to just air things out and let it rip. Let's see what Drew Locke has to offer and if he turns it over five times and you lose 41 to 6 then big deal you didn't expect to win anyway and and obviously Fangio and Scangarello were, were on that same basic page because that game turned into a masterpiece of offensive play calling for Locke yes but really more for Scangarello that I basically know that game took my breath away as a fan. So my number one question for the offense heading into next year is going to be whether that was just a single day when the stars aligned and your opponent was banged up and you had a never-to-be-repeated one-hit wonder, or was it the kind of perfect offensive cadence that we might see four, five, eight, ten times a season going forward? There's just no telling at this point. But I can tell you that I had gotten to the point with Mike McCoy and Bill Musgrave that I just didn't even want to watch the Broncos anymore. They they were so unimaginative and hard to watch. If nothing else, I'm going to feel like next year is going to be a lottery with this offense, and in any given week, it can go off like it did in Houston this year. That's something to look forward to. Now, as far as Garrett Bowles, I want to talk about him in the larger context of the offensive line in general. When your quarterback was Trevor Simeon or Paxton Lynch or Case Keenum or Joe Flacco or Brandon Allen, you needed a very good offensive line to keep these guys upright. Why? Because none of them was either a particularly quick decision maker or particularly mobile, either in or out of the pocket. With Joe Flacco especially, he was a statue. If you're Joey Bosa or Frank Clark or or whoever, you you knew exactly where he was going to be on any given pass play. That made it exceedingly easy to game plan. And no, Garrett Bowles did a fairly lousy job in pass protection, and Elijah Wilkinson on the right side was even worse. But honestly, I'm not sure if Ryan Clady or Gary Zimmerman in their primes could have kept Joe Flacco from being sacked over and over and over again because the problem really was 
Joe Flacco. So as you look back on the 2019, one of the most striking statistics of this season was the quarterback sacks against the offense. Back several years ago, Paxton Lynch had a sack rate of over 12%, which was just phenomenally high. Flacco and Allen this year were both over 9%, which is still unacceptably high. Drew Locke dropped that number to under 4% with the same offensive line. In fact, one that was dealing with injuries worse than what Flacco and Allen had to deal with. And for me, at least, that really met the eye test as well, because I think the thing that impressed me about Drew Locke more than anything else was his mobility inside the pocket. That's a gift, folks. You can't teach it. Sam Darnold in New York is a solid young quarterback, but he's seeing ghosts in the pocket. He doesn't have that gift. Flacco didn't have it. Brandon Allen doesn't have it. Even Peyton Manning didn't have great pocket presence, but he made up for it for his lack of mobility with quick decisions on when and where he was going to throw the ball. So as we look ahead to 2020, you're looking at this offense and you have to ask yourself where you want to put your premium free agent and draft picks. And in my mind, you just don't need that great an offensive line for Drew Locke. You have Mike Munchak as your offensive line coach. He can do a lot without a ton of talent. So as far as the offensive line goes, I think you're letting Mike Munchak set the offensive line draft board and the free agent interviews, but you're rolling with Bowles and James, re-signing McGovern. Of course, you're going with Dalton Reisner, and all you're really looking for is a swing guy, maybe a rookie, to replace Elijah Wilkinson, who just isn't an NFL caliber offensive tackle. Perhaps you use one of your third rounders on a tackle, let him develop for a year under Munchak, then you can reevaluate evaluate what you have a tackle with the 2020 after the 2020 season and you'll have three options Bowles, James and the new guy to work with and dittos for right guard if you don't want to roll with a guy like Schlotman then I expect you can find a lower end free agent or perhaps even a new rookie who will get the job done I don't think you need to break the bank for a free agent like Brandon Scherf or Joe Thune Without putting your premium offensive assets on the offensive line, that leaves draft and salary capital to spend in getting another weapon for Drew Locke, because that's really the direction I think John Elway is going to want to go this offseason. Upgrade that wide receiver, receiver two slot with another weapon who can complement Sutton, Fant, Lindsey, and Freeman, and this offense could be scary. Okay, so now let's move on to the defense. Kevin, what were your major hits and misses for the defense in 2019? Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did to create this ad. To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Oh, another good question. Boy, you know, 
a lot of the Broncos' issues on defense happened due to injury. I think, you know, obviously they lost Callahan for the entire year. He never played a snap. Um, Bosby had that terrible, you know, head neck injury. What I don't know, two thirds of the way through the season, he he had really been balling out. I think he's a guy who could come back and 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 have a significant impact on the defense next season. Um, you know, I think a big mistake they made was trying to have Shelby Harris's nose tackle. Uh, that obviously didn't work out. They moved him over, put um, you know, Mike Purcell in, and and they had some good games there. Not great. I don't think Purcell is a great player. I think he's an okay player who you know I think when the offense doesn't scheme well enough to him. He can really have a you know solid impact on the game, but I think the offenses when they're well coached and, and have good offensive linemen, I, he's just not a, a game changer for me. Um, so what did they did they miss on defense? You know, I don't know. I, I didn't love obviously that their coverage of tight ends. We saw them get just blown up a couple times again. Todd Davis, you know, he's got good games, he's got bad games, he tackles all the he's got tons and tons of tackles. I think the most tackles in the last fifteen years or something for a Denver Bronco, but. He just can't cover a tight end, and, and neither can Josie Jewell. Alexander Johnson was better to start the year. I think he really kind of, he didn't fall off a cliff at the end of the year, but he really, you know, started to to decline, at least in coverage, at least that I could see. This is this is just per per my, what I'm seeing on the field. Um, so I think they really need to add a top-notch middle linebacker. I know that, Skipper Dude, you've mentioned several times that you want to bring in Scobert from, from Cleveland. I think that would be absolutely fantastic. He's a really good coverage linebacker, smart, good guy who could could lead this defense. You bring him in, you keep Todd Davis, you have Alexander Johnson. You got a really solid core, I think, at middle linebacker, and hope that Scobert's a guy who can cover somebody, you know, like like a tight end, like like Kittle or Kelsey. Um, other than that, you know, this season, you know, I think they obviously had hits with with Simmons. You know, Harris Jr. was good and bad. I don't think he's. He's not great. He doesn't deserve $15 million like he thinks he does. I think that the $12 million that, that Elway offered him, I think $12 million for three years, that's a solid contract. I think that that's a, that's a fair contract that I think Harris Jr. should have accepted. He didn't. He's probably gone anyway. Um, so I don't regret anything this year. Um from from him, obviously, Simmons was good. Parks was okay. You know, it's it's an interesting again, it's it's a it's a strange group because they were the number one defense in the red zone. So you see the talent there. You see the scheme works. You see there were guys who put were put into the scheme who were absolute nobodies and turned into stars. Alexander Johnson, Mike Purcell, you know, even Justin Simmons to a point. And I think that that's that's a definite positive looking forward that his scheme, Fangio's scheme, can work with guys, you know, not as talented or not as big of names. You do need a really solid defense up the middle of the field you need a great nose tackle you need a great middle linebacker you need a great safety and I think that they have Simmons they're going to keep Simmons I think almost now no matter what you bring in Scobert that'd be a fantastic middle linebacker and then you need to go and spend money on a nose tackle I know that's something that that Skipper Dude's talked about and will talk about more in the future in this offseason now you know again what did they do wrong I don't know it's hard to say if they've been healthy if they had kept all the guys they'd brought in, I think it could have been a different story, especially with Callahan. I think Callahan would have changed the face of this team. Um, but in general, I, I give them a pretty good grade for for the guys that they brought in. I think some of these rookies, like Malik Reed, Draymond Jones, they actually, you know, they they looked pretty good. I mean, Jones, heck, he won a Defensive Player of the Week award, for goodness sake. So, um, you know, a big question, obviously, in, in this coming year is going to be what to do with Von Miller. Um I know this is going to be something we're going to talk about for sure in the future because we've had our private conversations about Von Miller. 
Um, so I think I'll leave that for another for another time. But it is a question that they're going to need to look at because in 2020 or 2019, Von Miller was not the Von Miller we're used to. He wasn't. And I know that a lot of Von Miller apologists on Twitter and in and, and, and the Broncos country are all defending him for for anything and everything. But he wasn't the same. He wasn't. I mean, I mean, I watched the guy and I, I usually on defense, I watch him before the quarterback throws the ball or, or the, you know, the running back takes it because he's fun to watch. He's the guy that you want to see wreck the play. He just didn't do it this year. And, and it wasn't just double coverage. I mean, or double blocking, I should say. A lot of the times he was one-on-one and he got beat a lot. So I don't know if it was because he's, he's, you know, maybe he's banged up. Maybe he's getting older. Maybe he's just not as fast. He was not the same Von Miller and, and people can, you know, whine and complain and not like it, but that's just what I saw. And so that's something that they're going to need to address. They have Bradley Chubb. Is Von Miller worth the money that he's going to ask for in the next few years? Now, I think you definitely keep him in 2020. But after that, we'll see. We'll talk about that. That's a conversation for the future that the Skipper Dude and I will definitely, definitely have. But anyway, major hits and, and, and misses on the defense. I think this season, since it didn't really matter, you know, I think, you know, a miss was probably Shelby Harris at nose tackle. Um bringing in guys who are often injured like Callahan, you know, same with James on offense. Um, but in, in general, I think they did a pretty good job of bringing in talent. I think the rookies did a good job. I think they, they show that they could have a future on this team. And I think that moving forward, I'm excited to see what the Broncos do with, with their many draft picks. They have three third rounders. And I think that's a great time to, to build in the core of your defense. And I would love to see Scobert come in from Cleveland. And I would love to see a star nose tackle come in to set the tone and to set that that beastly lineup that a Fangio scheme desperately, desperately needs to have success. Yeah, Kevin, I, I think I'm pretty much completely on the same page here. As I look back to my expectations from, from back in the preseason, I think this defense more or less met them at, at a summary level, but how they got there was totally different from what I was expecting. I really thought that this defensive line was going to be this legendary thing. I mean, Wolf and Harris and Gotsis all look like game changers at times during camp, and Jones and Walker and Purcell created an impressive-looking second wave. But man, oh man, what a huge disappointment that defensive line was overall. As I've studied the Vic Fangio defense, I I've really come to realize that, like you say, he really does put a ton of emphasis on the nose tackle position. Fangio wants to line up his nose tackle as a one tech between the center and guard on the strong tight inside. But he wants that nose tackle to have the strength to handle the two gap, two gaps on running plays, but also the mobility to shoot through that gap on, on the one gap on passing plays. So the nose tackle needs to be both strong and agile, a very special kind of player. Now, Shelby Harris really seemed like a logical choice because he had shown both strength and agility. And I think he really does have the agility to be a Fangio nose tackle, but he definitely lacks the strength. And the Raiders and Bears early in the first couple of games of the season both ran right over him the first two two games. So enter Mike Purcell. Purcell was more your classic land mass as, as a nose tackle, and he'd also shown some agility during camp. He was certainly better than Shelby Harris at nose tackle, and he did stabilize things. But Kevin, I'm with you. I don't think he's going to be your guy going forward. Fangio wants somebody special at that nose tackle position. I had talked earlier in the season 
about how John Elway always wanted to build his defenses from the outside in, if you remember, and put his premium resources on his edge rushers and his cornerbacks. And hey, he built arguably the greatest defense in NFL history in 2015 using that formula, so I have no complaints there. But Vic Fangio very much wants to build his defense from the inside out. And where this defense was a train wreck at the cornerback position, Callahan out for the entire season, Bosby out for much of it, Isaac got him getting absolutely abused early in the season. Chris Harris Jr. having an underwhelming season, you name it. The defense was still fairly successful because you had one of the best safety combinations in the league in the middle of the field with Justin Simmons and Kareem Jackson. And Alexander Johnson played out of his mind, absolutely balled out at linebacker for most of the year. I think going forward, this is probably the combination you're going to see in the middle of the field headed into next year. Although, like you say, I'd love to CS land Joe Scobert from Cleveland. Now, as much as anything, I, I, I think I was surprised at just how quickly we started to see the fruits of the Fangio defense this year. I don't think I was expecting that. You could tell headed into the season that Elway and Fangio kind of decided to punt on 2019 in terms of bringing in big new talent and just go with what they inherited from the old Vance, Vance Joseph uh, regime. Yes, they brought in Kareem Jackson and Bryce Callahan, but they really concentrated on the offense the last offseason with Fant and Reisner and Drew Locke and Juwan James. But despite that, I thought you did start to see that tough, fundamentally sound, well-coached, gritty Vic Fangio defense start to take shape this year. And my instinct is that the real spiritual leader of this defense going forward is going to be Bradley Chubb. It's just something I see in the guy's body language and his nastiness on the field and his public persona. He's going to be to, say, the, the 2022 Broncos defense, what Von Miller was to the 2015 defense. And when you consider that next year, you're effectively getting him and Callahan and Bosby as a sort of free agent class, and in addition to whatever free agents you bring in, since none of them contributed a ton this year due to injury, I'm very much liking what this defense accomplished in its first year, as well as its potential for 2020. Now here I think is what's gonna be interesting to watch this off season. We don't really know what influence Vic Fangio had over personnel decisions for his defenses in San Francisco and Chicago. I mean, to what extent was he able to go out and get his type of guys like Belichick does in, in New England? Well, I think he's proven himself enough this season that he's probably going to have a more active say in finalizing the draft board this offseason, as well as evaluating free agents and determining which ones to sign. And by next year, I think you're going to see this defense really start to take on more of a pure Vic Fangio feel. And I know for me, that's extremely exciting. So Kevin, I very much appreciate the dialogue. I hope we can do it again as we get into the offseason. And I'm going to go ahead and throw it back to you to close out this segment. Yeah, good. I think it's a it's a kind of a cool way to to do a show. I think it's a little more a little more I don't know, co-hosted perhaps and, and and it was it was definitely nice to answer those questions. And I think they are important questions and I think it's kind of a good thing, maybe a bad thing that we we tend to agree on really most points. I think we're both looking for the same things in the offseason. I think we're both really kind of expecting the same things from the coaching staff and John Elway moving forward. And I think that's a good thing because I think it shows that there's an obvious movement in culture. There's an obvious 
way that this team is is making decisions. And I think that we both see that and are able to be on the same page with just the two of us. And that shows, in my mind, the Broncos are too. Because I think when you had the Vance Joseph era in the last really three or four years after Peyton Manning, there was no real idea of what was going on. So we could disagree about everything. Was it Simeon? Was it Lynch? Was it Keenum? You know, who who's the offensive line? Who's the OC? Who's the DC? You know, who's the head coach? And now it's a lot more easygoing, easy to to say, you know, where this team is, who they are, and where they're going, which makes for a little less drama in our podcast and and not maybe so much to talk about, but it's also a good thing. Now we can really focus on, you know, what we're excited about, who we think the team should focus on. And it's going to be a really interesting offseason, I think, obviously because of the draft, but also because the free agents are are going to be fascinating to see who the Broncos, the Broncos bring back and who they let go and also who's going to come in as a new face for the Denver Broncos. That's all I've got for you guys today. Thanks so much for listening to the Broncos and Bratwurst podcast. We will be back, as always, next Friday morning. Until then, take it easy. Mm, don't fall asleep. <laughs>